Hey mom friend, have you ever heard of home births or have ever wondered what the current interest is in them? Maybe you are considering a home birth, but have heard a lot of good things and not so good things about them. In today's episode, we are going to be closing our series on birth environments and talking about our last option. Home birth, woo, I'm so excited because as you know, I've had multiple home births and will be trying for another one here real soon. And although home births are my jam, I know that they are not for everyone. But there are so many times I've spoken to other moms about birth and some of them weren't even aware of what a home birth really was or is, what it can offer, and how this can totally be an option for them in their pregnancies. Home births sometimes get a bad rap, but after today, you will understand how the misconceptions may be rooted in ideologies that don't have unbiased, solid scientific backing or are turning a blind eye to the conclusions that make it a great alternative for low-risk mamas and how amazing the care is for your birth, pregnancy, and postpartum and beyond. And who knows, maybe after today, you want to jump in feet first and do a home birth. (laughs) Is that wishful thinking? I don't know, maybe not. (laughs) There's so much that I can say about home births, and I have had so much to share with you today that will help you make an informed decision for your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. So I have broken this discussion into two parts, with part one being today covering the history, research, and what the concerns are in home birth, and part two as a continuation to better understand what the benefits are, the psychological process of birth, why you would choose this option for your birth, and what you can do to prepare for it. So let's quickly get into part one so you can come back and get into part two. See you inside! Hey mama, welcome to Simplify Birth and Motherhood. I am Amanda. I am a wife and mom of four. I have had a hospital birth, unexpected C-section, a few home births, and now I am a birth advocate, childbirth educator, and your cheerleader in the toughest hood of them all, motherhood. Do you wish you knew what options were available to you when becoming a new mom or adding more to the mix? Are you ready to nurture and build up your mom gut so you can be more confident, educated, and bold? In this podcast, you will begin to understand, find support, and turn knowledge into power through education and resources for pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum, and for the early years of motherhood. If you are ready to get clarity to empower your birth and motherhood journey, then throw up your unbrushed hair, hike up your high-waisted pants, because sister, (laughs) I know you are wearing them. Put the baby in the ergo, and let's start feeding our God-given mom guts. See you inside. Okay, come on in because, girl, we have so much to talk about today. <laughs> I'm just going to warn you, today's going to be a little bit of a doozy, so I hope you can follow along and I hope it's not too much information at one time. This is why I specifically planned out all these birth environments into their own different episodes and categories because so much of them could be said so much about them. <laughs> and so home birth is no excuse away from that as well. So home birth is a beast of its own. Let me just tell you that. (laughs) But a good little gentle beast, like kind of ones that you read, you know, in Monsters, Inc. (laughs) 
I don't know. But that's the only really comparison I can give you right now. <laughs> okay, so today, like I said, is going to be a little bit of a doozy. So we're just going to jump right in it. So home births. Okay, they have become increasingly popular probably within the last couple years. But home births are really nothing new. People have been doing home births. I mean, think of like Moses. <laughs> but we don't really have to go very far, generational speaking, of home births actually happening. A good example would be my husband's grandmother before she had passed uh, had told me when we were deciding to have a home birth with our first, she had said, oh yeah, I've done those. I've had all seven of my children in the kitchen of my house. And so, you know, it's not really something that's new and it's not a foreign concept, especially in other countries, especially when we look down our line of ancestors. It's not a foreign concept. I mean, it's kind of a normal thing and everything that happens within the home birth environment and birth itself is a natural thing. And so with home births, we see that really play out. So again, home births are not really anything new. But before we get started, as you all know, I'm going to tell you the history of home births, but we're not going to go super far back to the beginning of time because <laughs> that would take pretty much a really long time. <laughs> but And I'm not looking to take up that much of your time today. But in the 1900s, 90% of births were at home. This was due to financial reasons and cultural reasons, things like twilight sleep, which knocked mom out during childbirth and leave them with no memories of birth itself. We had OBs that were part of the system making outlandish claims that midwives were not competent for birth. Pregnancy and childbirth were dangerous and evil, giving the reason to have forceps, sedatives, and interventions that only hospitals could offer. Legislation was also passed during these early 1900s to have births move from homes to the hospital and almost making it impossible to practice midwifery outside of the hospital setting. And with this caused a lot of well-seasoned midwives. I mean, you're talking like grandmothers, aunts, people who come from different countries who are helping some of these women a part of their culture and a part of their community had these babies at home pretty much years and years of doing this, see multiple different births automatically be barred from doing so anymore, pretty much making home birth illegal. In 1930, midwifery practically disappeared, as we learned in our hospital episode. This is where they lost a lot of their advocacy and their accreditation. It wasn't until 1956 when Marjorie Carmels wrote a book called Thank You, Dr. Lamaz, that brought a message to women that they could approach childbirth consciously with dignity and without the dependence of drugs. And again, we learned about the Lamaz method, where that all came from few episodes back. If you're kind of wondering what I'm talking about, go check those out and you'll get a better idea of kind of the context of what I mean by we all know what Lamaze is and where it comes from. <laughs> the next major step was the husband coached birth by Robert Bradley, which makes the father an important role of the birthing experience. This today is called the Bradley Method. A lot of people still use this today, um, especially when it comes to childbirth education. This is a very favored method among moms, particularly in environments like this. 
So in the mix of all this information coming out, the revival of midwifery happened in a way the civil rights movement was awakened and was actually considered a social movement. In 1977, women became more aware of midwifery and home birth by a published book by none other than Ina Mae Gaskin. If you are having a baby or you've read a few books or you've read something, you have probably come across this amazing, knowledgeable woman. She is like a very core and stable, a pioneer when it comes to midwifery in America. She wrote a book called Spiritual Midwifery. And I don't think that anything that she wrote or anything that she even currently talks about right now is anything new. I think she's one of those people who have just brought it out to make it public, to make it more of a light shine. Like this information is in the limelight. And so anything that she has talked about and has, did talk about in spiritual midwifery and that she currently talks about now is not really anything new. But even with births still happening in the hospitals during this time, it wasn't like home births were not happening. And what we know about home births then and today, it's something that our ancestors have been doing. And it's not like this was a new concept or something that we didn't know how to do. Because even if we weren't taught or even this is not something that was the normal or widely openly shared, there is something within our being that knows how to have a baby. And it's more just tapping into that instinct and it's more about kind of awakening the beast in that sense. <laughs> so, however, with all of this going on, this provided an opportunity for Ina May to proceed a worldwide movement of consumer and midwifery organizations to take back childbirth. And she still preaches this today because it's still an issue. So this resonated with a lot of mamas and a lot of families because they wanted to be in control of their own birth experience. Not the man, meaning the government, <laughs> not the system, which is the institution itself. And because they felt like it wasn't really benefiting them or society, wasn't really helping them. So this is something that people really resonated with. And so what they wanted was to participate in those decisions and have the ability to influence the outcomes. So this is kind of a very pivotal moment. This is kind of where it really just boom, took off from there. But even in 1980, hospitals and home births still continue to yo-yo for families. But then we skip forward all the way to 2019 and today, 2023, and that is when things really started to change. And recently, CDC data that was collected from all 50 states through birth certificates and stuff found that from 2019, that home births actually hit an all-time high and rose 12% from 2020 to 2021. But since 2019, it has actually increased by 22%. We saw in 2020 and 2021, home births actually increased in 30 states. So let me just paint a picture for you and just give you a good idea of how many of those births were in each of those years. So in 2019, there were 39,000 home births. In 2022, there were 46,000 home births. And in 2021, there was 52,000 
home birth. So we see definitely the increase there. So this data also included the different demographics of women. So in white women, there was a 10% increase from 2020 to 2021. But since 2019, there was a 21 increase of women having home births. In black women, there was an increase of 21% from 2020 to 2021. But overall, there was a 36% increase from 2019 until 2020. And lastly, there was about 0.48% in 2020 and 0.555% in 2021 between Hispanic women. But since 2019, for Hispanic women, this has increased at about 30%. This has a lot to do with COVID and the pandemic. But just women wanting more say and freedom in birth and wanting more support that they feel is better away from a hospital setting. With COVID, it just only heightened that. And I think just with all the restrictions and everything like that, COVID just really made it very hard for families to be in the hospital to have a baby if it wasn't an emergency. But we also have to take into account the fact that midwifery has grown increasingly within the last couple of years, thus making it an easy, accessible type of care that wasn't there before. Now, granted, there are still states right now that do make midwifery an outlaw, but even in states where it's not an outlaw, we have seen a significant amount of midwives who are servicing broader areas because they know that there is a need. And we're seeing more of these midwives pop up who are taking courses, who are getting accredited, who are getting education, who are getting experience to serve these different communities. So this is becoming more of a popular career choice in this health niche. So even though we have jumped from 1980 to 2023, now a lot of work in midwifery and the advocacy for them has increasingly grown. So it's been a big uphill battle within the system, but I think we are headed in the right direction when it comes to home births and midwifery and things like that, especially with the more the research comes out and the more data that's collected, more people who are willing to participate in these research studies or who are more willing to provide records of showing their progression when it comes to home births, the more it just fuels that fire for midwifery and home births. So it's a really great thing to see. When we think about home births, most people think that there is a huge risk. There is a huge comparison between if I have my baby at home, that puts me more in danger and more at risk than what it would be if I was in the hospital. And we talked about the hospital setting a couple weeks ago. And sometimes when we think of, well, if we're in the hospital, if something were to happen, at least we know that the available resources are there for us. Or we want to choose this option just in case something happens. And it sometimes en- it ends up becoming a self-fulfilled prophecy. But the risk, when we look at it based on research and data, is really not that much more significant in comparison to other birth environments if you are considered a low-risk mom. But all the studies show that what causes this option to be low risk is based on a few factors. First, that a highly trained midwife is present, such as a certified nurse midwife, a certified professional midwife, a certified midwife from an accreditation for midwifery care 
board or certification board. The second factor is there has to be safe and timely transport to a nearby hospital to be accessed to. I mean, you're talking within about a 30 to about 75 minute range between the home, your home, and a hospital that just in case a transport needs to happen for either you and baby or just either of you guys. Another thing is that you have to be a good candidate for home birth. When we talk about good candidate, we talk about meeting with a midwife, a midwife professionally going over health records, current pregnancies, past pregnancies, if there are any, going over those things with you and determining based off of their certification or based off of their education, based off of their skill, based off of all the things that they know and have experienced and have practiced and still continue practicing professionally, whether or not you are a candidate for home birth. But when we talk about what is considered a good candidate based on ACOG, which is American College of Gynecologists, the idea of a good candidate is you not having your baby be in a malpresentation position, such as a breached baby. Now, even breach is a little bit more controversial because this can actually be accomplished in a home birth environment setting, but this is based on the education and skill level of the midwife, and as well as local, meaning state regulations on whether or not this is permissible based off of their certification, because some midwives are actually trained to deliver breached babies. And in places, like I said, it can be illegal for midwives to do this, but does not mean that midwives can't be trained, that it's illegal for them to be trained to be able to do this. This is why they have seminars called Reteach Breach, because this truly is a lost art and midwives should not necessarily be the only ones who know how to do this, but OBs should also be encouraged to learn this because they certainly do not teach this as they are going through their schooling. This is not something that they have considered to be an educational piece. So the second thing that would consider to be our twin birth. So again, this is based off of midwifery training and local state level laws will permit them to do. You can also have prior C-section. This means that if you are trying for a BVAC, this would be considered unsafe in a home birth environment according to ACOG, which we see this happen all the time, that people turn out perfectly fine, babies turn out perfectly fine, and the, what they're mainly concerned about is a risk that is severely low and is not really a risk that everybody falls into. A last one is an indication of symptom which forbids the method of treatment for a planned home birth. So the bottom line with all of this, even with ACOG even quoting that this would not make you a good candidate for a home birth, that you, if you fit in within this range, you are not considered a low risk mom or a low risk in your current pregnancy. Because the research that they have done, which is considerably very little, and what they have been able to actually find is that the outcomes are still favorable for some people who do fall in this category. <laughs> and for they do still qualify to be low risk in their pregnancies. And home births are still considered an acceptable alternative to the hospital. <laughs> so they're looking at the research and they're saying, oh yeah, no, this is not safe based off of the study. But what they're doing is they're 
ignoring the conclusions and the outcomes. They're ignoring that and they're saying, well, even though it's still a better alternative, because of all these other things that happened in the research and the data, we're still going to consider that if you fall into this category, this is not a safe option for you. It's just really strange. And so when we talk about home births, there are definitely two different ways of going about a home birth. We have an assisted home birth, meaning that there is a certified midwife who is there and they're providing continuous care and support of you and baby. Pregnancy, in birth, and shortly after and into your postpartum period. Another one is an unassisted birth. This is often referred to as a free birth, but not an unplanned, uninsisted birth, okay? Because those are really two different things. A planned, uninsisted birth is a free birth, but an unplanned, unassisted birth is when you are planning to have a midwife there, but the midwife does not get there in time to deliver the baby, but shows up shortly after, like 10, 30 minutes after. This has happened to a lot of women. I personally know somebody (laughs) that this happened to her. And so those things are two different things. And most women don't choose this option because they like the support from the midwife. But what can be noted here is that the rate of prenatal and neonatal complications and mortality have been estimated to be higher in births that have not had a midwife or somebody who was professionally certified to deliver babies. So we have to do note that because the research does say that. But the statistics for home birth for prenatal death attended by a midwife was about one in a thousand. And the neonatal seizures or serious neurological dysfunction was between 0.4 to 0.6 in a thousand. Pretty rare cases and something that rarely happens. But the statistics for home birth in prenatal mortality and morbidity is not any higher than the hospital even after 28 days of birth. So into postpartum. And the study still found that there was no increased risk of adverse prenatal outcomes for home births among low-risk women. But the thing that we see in home births is that we see problem-solving happening because of a lot of the issues we see in hospital settings are usually treated in a way of urgency rather than waiting for the normal process to play out accordingly the way that it was designed to. We see how mom is free to move around instinctively, meaning she's listening to her body and going with what her body is telling her to help her baby out. She also is doing things to help create space in her pelvis and she has the freedom to do so. So we're seeing all these different techniques and active participation with mom, where in some environments we are met with others directing how mom is to move or possibly not even move at all, which is definitely not a recommendation because that baby still needs to come out. So we still need to be moving, creating space. We still need to be doing those things. And sometimes we see them intervening a little too soon, not letting mom problem solve or not using these natural different techniques that actually can solve the problem more quickly and more effectively and more safely. So do only low-risk mamas have home births? No, because by definition, ACOG, you could still have these things of being high risk, but to a midwife, you may still be low risk according to them, according to their um, special standards and what their skill set is. And so according to this definition or standard by ACOG, do high-risk women still have home births? Yes. Why? Maybe they're afraid of the medical interventions or the fact that their baby will be treated with certain things that they may not be necessary and the lack of support for their desires that are within reasons and supported by evidence-based research. 
that are not even being considered or they know the system knows that this is the right thing to do, but yet they are unwilling to let mom do it, even though there is complete and total safety in doing it. This can be very telling about the current medical system. And when I hear this, I hear that it tells me that they're making it very difficult for moms to fight, very difficult for them to voice their opinion. And there isn't a lot of support for mom's decision-making because the fear of consequences that might ensue for them to do that, which we all know ethically from episode four that this is not ethically okay and this is not okay that if a mom wants to make this decision, there shouldn't be any punishment or consequences with it, meaning threatening of CPS, courts, things like that. But my question is, and what ACOG mentions, is that they believe having a baby in the hospital or a birth center is actually safer than having a home birth. How? I don't know. Because there is nothing a birth center can offer you that a midwife can't. They too have fetal rate heart monitors, meaning Dopplers, to monitor baby. They have oxygen and suction means for baby and mama. They can provide anti-hemorrhaging medications, those which can be also natural, not necessarily pharmaceutical ways of doing that, but they do offer things that are just as effective that work with the body versus something that's synthetic. And suturing equipment in case you tear, and they too have the education and skill for birth. In fact, they specialize in it. It is their specialty. Midwives are especially trained and educated and brought up to have this amazing skill set for this. It's like a cardiologist has a skill set for the heart and things that have to do with cardiology in the body. This is exactly the same mindset when it comes to midwife. So what is the problem here? Well, the way that I view it and the way that it's coming to show, especially in regards to the research, it has a lot to do with propaganda. We know that propaganda and what we've learned, I think within the last couple of years, propaganda fuels the people. It's the term is the consumer is being consumed. So we know that propaganda is really fear driven. The fact that ACOG is still not recognizing the skill and education of midwives when it comes to birth and how they identify complications and knowing how to take actions appropriately is something that's still being done today and something that they really have a huge grip on. And I see this in the research. ACOD quotes all the research to pack their reasoning. But again, they fail to recognize that the results say that home birth is still a safe alternative to low-risk women. They also assume that the same complications they see happen in the hospital will most likely or happen at a more greater rate or often, or that there is an unforeseen event that exists that they themselves can't even identify or they themselves have not ever seen it happen is going to happen in a home birth. And we don't really see that. And with that, it still raises the questions. Are there things in the birth room at the hospital that are causing some of these emergency type events or making things a little bit more complicated than what they really should be? Those are questions that we we have to ask and some of the things that we have to entertain in our minds and possibly even learn more about. And one of the things that we see happening in a home birth and a birth center setting is the probability of being transferred is something that is there. And this is why they recommend that if you do have a home birth that you live within about 30 to a 75 minute 
range of the nearby hospital because it is a real thing and it's not to say that it doesn't happen. And that's really one of the things that the college does say that is their concern is the ability of transfer. Do they have easy accessibility for a hospital that can service them in an event of a transfer? But to say that home birth is not safe for this reason when actually transfers all vary from midwife to midwife. But as a general statistic, for first-time moms, the transfer is in between 23 to 38%. And where more experienced moms, the difference is 4 to 9%. And the reasons why these possibly happen are due to lack of progression in labor, thus causing labor exhaustion. But even the time frame of what midwives considered a lack of progression is significantly different than what the hospital considers as your you have failure to progress. I mean, their time frame is like, okay, if nothing's happening or no great difference is happening within this two-hour period, then we're automatically going to deem this as a failure to progress and we're going to kick things up and we're going to start looking into other options to get the ball rolling or possibly completely end all of this. And so where the difference in what they consider is failure to progression in a home birth setting, according to what a midwife is, is there's no dilation, no nothing within a at least minimum four hour period of time. I mean, that's a long time. And even then, it's just sometimes labor is exhausting. So, and we have non-assuring fetal statuses or heart rates, the need for pain relief, hypertension, meaning our blood pressure starts to spike and go up, hemorrhaging or fetal malpresentation or fetal malpositioning. And this, again, really has to do with the skill set of the midwife. Even if baby is transverse on its side or breached, I mean, babies move around a lot during labor. So just because baby's head down now (laughs) does not mean in birth that they will be head down completely. I mean, them switching over to breach is also to a rare situation, but normally they are going to be head down. But sometimes this happens. (laughs) This is why sometimes moms get transferred. So do transfers happen? Yes, but they are rare. And it's not something that's necessarily hidden between midwives. It's not something that they're ashamed of. This is not something that needs to be a big concern as a make or break of making home birth safe or unsafe. This is why it's still important to pack a hospital bag in these birth settings to be aware of what role your birth team will play in the event of a transfer. What are some of the things that they're going to do? But also that you still have a quote, I say these with my air quotes, (laughs) backup plan in the event of a transfer. But I think what some of the fear is with these transfers is a fear of what others may think, what we may think of ourselves, or what the receiving hospital will say or do for us in that event. It's true that some hospitals, like OBs and some of the staff, are a little judgmental when it comes to home births. Sometimes we hear hospitals being home birth transfer friendly, midwifery friendly, and that's really great. Sometimes we don't have hospitals that are like that. With that attitude, sometimes it crosses over when a mom is transferred. And ACOG, the college states that in the event of a transfer, that ethically 
When there is a transfer, the receiving hospital should remain a non-judgmental demeanor towards the women and anyone accompanying with her. This is always not the case, (laughs) but we can't let that bother us. And if there is a shift in care that you feel is not fair based off of your transfer or based off of your choice of having a home birth and, and not working out, then we need to speak up. We need to make sure that we are advocating for ourselves in these positions. And But if that is happening, we also need to know that we talked about this for our, home, our hospital episode, is knowing what our rights are, knowing what our patient bill of rights are. Because if that is happening, we know and we'll be able to realize that it is not ethically okay and we need to speak up. And we need to make sure that that changes. It should also be noted that your transfer will not be for a small reason. We touched on this a little bit in our last chat. It will be for a necessary reason. And if you trust your midwife and birth team, they will be able to see the red flags being raised before things get too serious. Your midwife will be able to recognize the problem and only intervene to be able to problem solve before it becomes a major problem for you and your baby. If they feel it is heading down a path that you need the extra support or your baby needs the extra support, they will communicate with you and they will make the arrangements to the nearest hospital or have emergency personnel come. This means EMT, paramedic, those types of people. And even if that were to happen, or even if it were not happened, midwives are equipped with the equipment to stabilize and attend to you and baby until the emergency services arrive or until you can become a little bit more stable within that comfort zone for them. So you're in good hands if this does end up happening. But this is also not to make a light note on their training at all, because they are also trained to handle life-threatening emergencies that can happen randomly during birth. But what we do need to know as well is that there is a risk no matter what option you choose. With a hospital birth, you do risk having medical interventions that tend to not make things easier or possibly have a little bit more long-term damage on us as mothers as well as on babies. Birth center and home births, you risk the possibility of being transferred. Those are the types of things that we do need to also know that no matter what option we choose, we ultimately are not in control of birth and things happen that we are necessarily not planning for, but they do happen. Okay, mama, that is what I have for you today. We are almost to the finish line on learning about home births, birth environments. Now that we've covered a little bit of research, the misconceptions, and some of the risks, that will be it for this episode. But make sure you join me in part two. I will see you there. Hi again. Thank you so much for listening to this great episode. If you had learned something today, please make sure you leave a review in Apple Podcasts and share with another mom friend. Also, pop on over to our private Facebook group, sign up for our email list, and connect with me on social media, which are all linked in the description of this podcast. I can't wait to see you over there and connect with you. Now go listen to your mom gut, because wisdom will guide you, and chances are it won't let you down. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.